couple of years ago, I would have moved this table alone with one hand. Those days, those days are gone. Well, good morning, church. My name is Pastor Leon McKenzie, or Pastor Mack, as some of you come to know me. Welcome to service. I would also like to lend my thanks and appreciation for Dr. Mary Okuku and all the kindness she's shown me and my family here, her and her husband. Uh, she's fantastic. Me and Mary, we've known each other for a little for a little while, about about ten years or so, right, Mary? Yeah. And, uh, I went to church with her sister for a long time, and and one of my fond memories with Mary is about ten years ago. I don't remember what the occasion was, but somebody had a karaoke party. You remember that, Mary? And Pastor Mac went. There's all these different rooms you could you could rent out for karaoke, and Pastor Mac just went from room to room, tearing it up for karaoke. I didn't care who was in the room. I was just going and, and tearing it up. And that uh, was a lot of fun. So and I remember Mary saying, Man, I didn't, I didn't know you could loosen up so much. She had no, no idea how loose I could get. Again, that was also several years ago. Yeah, well, praise the Lord. Um, just want to say an extra special welcome to anybody who's a visitor here. Um, if indeed you are a visitor and you'd love to learn more about our church, plug in, get to know leaders here at the church at all, we love to do coffee and lunch and all the like. So if you'd like to do that, please reach out to me at leon at redeemeratl.org, and we'd love to do that. Or Drew at redeemeratl.org. Whichever one of us you find more fun, go ahead and choose that one. And, 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 uh, and somebody, please choose him. Don't make him feel bad. I know you're all going to choose me, but... But no, praise God for that. I rarely ever step out from behind the, the lectern or the, the, the thing, right? But it's been a little difficult with us being outside to feel connected. So I wanted to get just a little bit closer to you guys and talk to you for just a second. Is that okay? Even with your mask on, you still look so beautiful and fantastic. I just want to see you a little more. But um, we're going to be talking about 1 John. And I started. we started with 1 John a couple of weeks ago when I last preached. We talked about 1 John 1. And I wanted to set the stage a little bit for our sermon this morning, uh, for what's going on in the context of 1 John, this letter that he's writing, the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John. And the occasion for his letter is that the group of Christians to which he's writing, they're having an issue with particularly people defecting from the faith. People who at one point said they were Christians, professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and now they're actually walking away from the Lord or walking away from the faith, be it for the sake of heresy or error, erroneous, wrong teachings about the faith, about following Christ, or they're just walking away from the faith. He doesn't make it very specifically clear. He does talk about some heresy and stuff, but all we know is that they're walking away from the faith. They're walking away from the apostolic tradition. What, what the apostles has taught is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this letter, he's laying out what is essential for true faith. To truly be a professing follower of Christ, what should you look like? What should your life look like? What are the things you should believe, you should profess? What are the things you should do? And so as we get to this text today, John is talking about what does it look like for the Christian to exercise real love. Somebody say real love. Real love. The song has been playing in my head this entire week. That song, I'm talking about a real love. Everybody get it. There it is. There it is. Amen. Amen. Good song. Anyhow, but John is talking about a real love. And so we're going to talk about particularly within the confines of the Christian church, of us being Christians, loving each other, loving other brothers and sisters. What does it look like for us to have real love? Ideally, the Christian loves everybody. 
but John is focused on what's going on within the church. And very often, whatever goes on within the church serves as a witness to those outside the church. And so we're going to talk about real love today. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go first, John chapter 3. We're not going to read um, everything in your bulletins, 11 through 24. We're going to start in verse 18. And we're going to go first John chapter 3, verses 18 through 24. And then we'll pray together and then we'll jump in. And so first John chapter 18, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 18 through 24. And it reads, little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. And this, then, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, friends. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this great Sunday you've given us. We thank you for the cloud cover, the cool breeze, and we thank you for the opportunity to meet together once again in person, to see each other and be encouraged by our presence. We thank you for your presence as we worship you through song this morning and for those who led us. And we pray that you'd be present to us as we continue to worship you in hearing your word preached and also in obeying what your commands are for us. So this morning I pray that you would grant grace that your word will be proclaimed through my lips with clarity, with conviction, and Lord, you would add to it your effectual power, O Holy Spirit, to accomplish in the hearts and minds of every person here, every person present watching online exactly what you've sent your word to do, that we would be changed, we would be saved, Lord God, we would be inspired, encouraged, challenged to be people who are marked by real love. To the glory and the honor of your name, we love and we thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you and thank you, O Father, O Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen. And so, put simply, brothers and sisters, just to sum up what real love is, as simply as we can, real love is defined by what we do. Okay? Real love is about what we do. But unfortunately, brothers and sisters, we've all experienced this to some degree, love is often confused with romance, right? Because romance has to do with how we feel. Romance is about excitement, butterflies, mystery, right? Some giddiness, you know, love letters, right? That's romance. And while real love might include some romance or, or some romantic feelings, right, real love does not need romance or feelings. Because you see, brothers and sisters, you can romance or be romantically involved with anyone or even every, anything, right? 
Unfortunately, sometimes we, we get romantically involved with our church. Right? Sometimes we go to church and we stick around as long as it makes us feel good, right? As long as it's exciting and it tickles our fancy, but the moment it no longer does, we skedaddle. We're out of there. But you see, that's not, that's not real love. You see, romance can actually be, it can be purely self-serving. Right, romance could be based on you, only what you get, the good feeling, the excitement. But real love is altogether different, brothers and sisters, because real love is primarily, essentially, others-centered. Right? Real love is all about the good you can do for someone or something else. And so when I text this morning... The Greek word that's translated love is, the, is the, the verb form of a word that I think most of us, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you're familiar with. Can anybody guess what's that word? Agape. Correct. And you've probably been told on many occasions that agape is the highest form of love, right? There's at least four different words translated love in the original language, and agape is the highest form of love, the most highly regarded form of love, the best kind of love that can be displayed. But here's the question. Why? Why is agape love so highly regarded as love? Why is, why is agape so, 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 so grand a love as it is? Well, it's because, brothers and sisters, unlike other forms of love, right, like romance, agape is a love that is defined by what you do for someone regardless of how you feel towards or for them. Agape is love that is not defined by how you feel, but rather how you are towards a person or a thing. Particularly, we're talking about people today. Agape is goodness shown or given despite or regardless of the goodness felt or even the goodness returned or reciprocated. As a matter of fact, brothers and sisters, what's so specifically unique about agape love is agape love is defined by loving, particularly when there's no opportunity for the reciprocation of love. This is why agape love is that very special kind of love that causes us to love even our enemies, even as Jesus has called us to do. And what's more, brothers and sisters, agape love is the love that compels God to love us. It's the kind of love that compels our God to love us to the point of giving his son on the cross, despite how little we deserve it. Agape love, brothers and sisters, is gospel love. And it is the gospel, brothers and sisters, that compels us to love others the way God has loved us. And so in this way, brothers and sisters, agape love becomes the love that is quite possibly the greatest defining mark 
of the Christian or the Christ follower. Agape love is the clearest indication, brothers and sisters, that we have passed from death to life. That we have gone from sinner to redeemed. That we have gone from unbeliever to now devoted follower of Christ. And so when we talk about real love today, keep in mind that we are referring to this kind of love, to agape love. And this is the very love that the Apostle John is calling us to. So toward this end, if you're looking in your Bibles, and I put it on um, the slides today for those, those of us at home to follow along with us. John begins our passage this morning in verse 18. And listen to what he says. And this is truly an endearing term. When, when John begins this by little children, he is letting them know that he is speaking to them as a loving father to his dear children, his spiritual children. Um, at that. And he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And in other words, brothers and sisters, John is saying to those Christians and us, by consequence, he's saying, let's love each other with real love, with agape love. Let's love each other with love that is expressed through deed and in truth, through what we do and who we really are. And so that first point today we have this morning is this, brothers and sisters, that real love is what we do. And we've already simplified it to that. And now in verse 18, John goes on to do something. He goes on to clarify for us what real love is by telling us exactly what real love is not. Right? And he says this. He says, let's love in word and in, I mean, excuse me, let's love in deed and in truth and not in word Right? Not in word. And ultimately what he's saying is that love, brothers and sisters, is not lip service. Love is not merely lip service. Right? And we know this. No one can truly love you by just simply saying that they do. Right? Amen? No one can say that they, no one can truly love by just saying they love you. We know this. We know this experientially. For example... I see a lot of small children here. And uh, let's say, right, your five or six-year-old son or daughter comes home from school one day and they say, Daddy, Mommy, I'm going to marry so-and-so for my class, right? Most of us will probably laugh and, and, you know, and joke. Some of us probably wouldn't laugh, you know, depending, you know, where you are. But most of us would laugh. And we'd say, you know, well, sweetie, well, honey, what, what, what gives you the idea? Why do you think you're going to marry so-and-so? Right? And they may say something like, well, mommy and daddy, because, because they told me they love me. Right? And you go, oh, that's sweet, you know, right? You're, you're, you're okay with that. That's okay. But let's fast forward about 15, 20 years into the future. Your kid comes home. They've graduated from college. They're probably already into their career, wherever they are. And they come home and say, mom, dad, I'm getting married. Well, now it's a little more serious this time, right? And so this time you're going to say, okay, um, you know, let's have a seat. Uh, so what brought this about? Why do, you, why do you want to marry so-and-so? And he or she says something like, well, mom or dad, because they told me they love me. At that point, we have a problem, right? At that point, we have an issue. Because at five or six years old, it's okay 
right, for, for, for a five or six-year-old to, to want to marry someone because they said they, they, they love them. That's okay. But as we grow, brothers and sisters, it's important that we learn that love, true love, real love, is much more than lip service. Right? As we grow and mature, our understanding of love grows and matures as well. And in, ver- in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, John tells us, using the example of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, that love is not mere lip service, but love, essentially real love, agape love, the love that God has shown us through his Son, is essentially, foundationally, self-sacrificial. Right? Real love lays down its life for the benefit of others. Secondly, John, through the example of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he tells us that real love is generous and real love is compassionate. Right? Real love provides for the needs of others without needing anything in return. So when we're exercising real love, brothers and sisters, we do things for the goodness that our doing will afford others and not primarily for any goodness that it will do for ourselves. As a matter of fact, brothers and sisters, we can easily define something as not real love when after love is given, someone stands looking for what you can do for them. Real love. The love that Jesus has shown, the love that God continues to show us is the love that is self-sacrificial, that is generous, that is compassionate, that is providing for our needs, that is being there for us when we are incapable of being there for someone else. How many of you can repay God for the goodness he's shown? None of us can. And God has called us to love each other in the same way. Tit for tat, brothers and sisters, does not work in God's economy. It's not the way it works. But keep this in mind, brothers and sisters, when we love, with this real love, this self-sacrificial, self-sacrificial love, this generous and compassionate love, keep in mind this is not so that we can check our good deed for the day box, okay? That's not what it's about. Agape love, real love, gives to, shares with, and supports others because, brothers and sisters, deep down we desire. It is deep down within us in order to care for others with the kind of love that God has shown us. And and I know that sounds maybe a little little contrary to what I've said about feelings, but we're going to go to where feelings play into this in our second part. Now, second point. So our first point is this. Simply put, that real love is what we do. Okay? It's about what we do, not how we feel. But here's the second point. Real love shapes our hearts. In other words, real love informs or cultivates within us hearts that are ready to love. Let me explain what we say here. Again, for that last point, we, I went to great lengths to explain that love is about what we do, not how we feel. Talking about the difference between real love and romance. Now, here, brothers and sisters, is the reason why feelings cannot determine our love. Here's why we, we, we can't 
Here's why love can't be defined by how we feel. Here it is. It's because, brothers and sisters, as you and I both know, feelings don't always lead us towards doing the things we know we should do. Right? To be human, brothers and sisters, means to struggle with a bunch of different feelings and inclinations that are not always geared towards exercising real, true agape love. Sometimes in loving others, especially those closest to us, right, it's hard to come by the feelings to love them. And so and sometimes, brothers and sisters, if it was dependent on how we felt, we would likely not love anybody at all. Right? In 2008, I was telling Pastor Drew, I'm going to talk about this movie, and I, I had a friend who didn't know anything about this sermon, and, and he had some terrible things to say about this movie. I felt bad because I actually kind of liked this movie, as, as cheesy as it was. But in 2008, if you remember, Kirk Cameron... Uh, starred in the movie Fireproof. How many of you guys seen that? Okay. It was a fantastic, I, I see, Ashley loved it. It was, a, it was a fantastic movie, especially for, uh, at the time, Christian movies were not the best in terms of acting and such. But regardless of how you may feel about this particular film, there was something in it that, something in it that I thought was fantastic, right? In the movie, Kirk Cameron played this, this firefighter, and he had essentially fallen out of love with his wife. Um, his wife didn't really feel love for him much. He didn't really feel love back for her. And so and they were heading towards the divorce. And so another firefighter who was a friend of Kirk Cameron's character, he brought a book to him. And the book had helped that firefighter, the one who was helping Kirk Cameron's character, had helped his marriage actually come back from the brink of divorce. And so... Kirk Cameron, he begrudgingly took the book, and he started doing the things that was in the book. And the book kind of had this step-by-step process of how he could re-engage his wife and, and, and love his wife well. And as Kirk Cameron begrudgingly, hesitantly, not all the way into it, as he began to, to put the steps into practice towards his wife, doing small, loving action towards him, an uh, incredible thing happened. Big plot twist in the movie. Incredible thing happened. Before his wife ever reciprocated a single piece of the love that he was showing her, Kirk Cameron's character himself started to redevelop feelings of love for his wife. What John in our text this morning is writing about is precisely this phenomenon, brothers and sisters. It's precisely this phenomenon. Let's take a look at verses 19 through 21 real quick as we talk about it. Verse 19 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Now, when John says heart in this passage, brothers and sisters, he's not talking about our consciences. Okay? He's not talking about our consciences. Like when someone feels their heart being convicted or maybe you feel like your heart is heavy because of something you've done wrong. That's not what, what John is talking about. He's talking more about the inner man, the deepest parts of ourselves. 
right? He's more, it's more like when you use heart to say that, hey, that person's heart is wrong or that person's heart is impure. That's more so the way he's using heart here. It's to speak of motives and intentions of the deepest parts of a person. And what John is saying here, brothers and sisters, is that sometimes our hearts or our inner person can be that very thing to serve to keep us from doing the loving things that we're called to do. And what John is saying, much like Kirk's Cameron's character, is that what we need to do at times, despite what our heart feels, we get about doing what we know God would have us to do. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, because God is greater than our hearts, as we follow him, we will find that following God's commands then informs our hearts and feelings to come thereafter. Brothers and sisters, I heard an old pastor say this one time. He's not old. He probably wouldn't appreciate me saying that, but he's old to me. But one time, this pastor, one time, he said, listen, he says, don't always be so quick to react to your feelings. Rather, choose to follow the spirit, and then the feelings and the flesh will come after. But so often, brothers and sisters, we like to choose the, the flesh, right, and the feelings, and wonder why the spirit is not at work in our lives. What John is telling us here, brothers and sisters, is that the Spirit of God in us, when we submit to Him versus the wicked desires of our heart, eventually that will then inform and reshape our heart to be the thing that goes along with God's commands. For God is greater than our hearts in every way. And John tells us that when we do this, when we submit to God's commands versus the sometimes wayward and wicked ways of our own hearts, the deceitful, deceiving ways of our hearts, as John says, I mean, Jeremiah says, that our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all else. When we choose to reject that and submit to God, John tells us that we will experience the confidence to approach God in prayer because we will have the assurance of this very thing, brothers and sisters, that nothing... Not even the wicked ways of our heart is getting in the way of us loving others. And if you remember, brothers and sisters, when I preached a couple weeks ago, we learned in 1 John 1 that loving others well means to love God well. Right? Loving others well means to love God well. And loving God well means to love others well. It's one and the same. The command to love God and others are essentially one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin. And John goes as far as to say, brothers and sisters, he goes as far as to say that if we have this confidence, because we've not succumbed to our hearts, but instead we've submitted ourselves to God, he says we will have what we ask for in prayer. So it's not far-fetched to say, brothers and sisters, that sometimes it's as simple as this. We don't have what we're asking for in prayer sometimes simply because we're submitting to our hearts versus submitting to God. We don't have what we're asking for. We're not hearing from God the way we want to because we're choosing to let the meanness or hardness or even unforgiving nature of our own hearts lead us. Over God's clear commands to love others. As I get louder, there's this echo coming from the back that sounds powerful. 
And so here's the question for us this morning, brothers and sisters, and here's the question of application as I get ready to close. Is there someone, particularly a brother, a brother or sister in the faith, that you found it difficult to love in the way that God is calling you to love him or her? You know what John means from this sermon this morning when he talks about real love. You know what real love requires of you. You know the difference between real love that God has called us to and romance. You know these things, but you found it difficult to do it because in reality, your heart just won't let you get there. If that's you this morning, brothers and sisters, I know it's me sometimes at least. Here's some things we can do, brother. Here's some things we can do. Try moving toward that person or those people through loving action, okay? Try giving to their needs. Try supplying a need they may have that you're familiar with. Uh, 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 try, try supporting their endeavors, something they have going on in their life. Go ahead and try supporting their business, whatever it may be. Or just dropping them a supporting line, an encouraging line. Here's a big one, brothers and sisters. Try praying for them. I found this to be an almost absolute truth. It is downright impossible to hate or not like someone who you have committed to regularly praying for. Try it. It is darn near impossible. And keep this in mind, brothers and sisters, that choosing to love those who we find it difficult to love, who we really don't desire to love or may not even desire to love us back, it usually does just as much in shaping and informing our hearts in love as our loving actions will do for them in their lives. And as we choose to live in real love, brothers and sisters, as we choose to live lives of real love, the Apostle John, Apostle John promises us that that real love will cause us to abide in God and He in us. Brothers and sisters, if we would indeed live in right fellowship with God, if we would have unbroken fellowship with our God, this is essential. If we would experience the fullness of eternal life, if we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and have his life-giving power at work in us, then we must love others. This is not optional, brothers and sisters. It's not an elective course. It's required of us. Verse 23 tells us simply and clearly, that his commandment is that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. But the reality is these aren't two commands. Because he says, and this is his commandment, singular, that we believe in Jesus and that we love others. We can't have one without the other, brothers and sisters. Believing in Jesus means to love our brothers and sisters. Believing in Jesus means to love our Republican and our Democrat brothers and sisters. Believing in Jesus means that we love our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, our Baptist brothers and sisters, our Greek Orthodox brothers and sisters, our Anglican brothers and sisters. Listen, it is not optional. Believing means that we love each other. 
believing means that we love our white brothers and sisters, our black brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, our other brothers and sisters. Believing requires that we love. And here's the tough one. Believing in Jesus even means that we love those brothers and sisters who just can't find it in their heart to love us back. And so, brothers and sisters, real love is what we do. Real love is what we're all about. And real love will shape our hearts. And get this, brothers and sisters, real love is the defining mark, the defining characteristic of the follower of Christ. Let us be people of real love today. Amen? Yes, amen. Let's amen. pray, brothers and sisters. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. And God, um, while these things are great to hear, we know that these are not easy things to follow. Would you so overwhelm us with the love that you have for us? Make that so real in our hearts that we can then find it within us to submit to your command to love others, even especially when we don't feel it. Help us to be people who are committed to loving one another, so much so that those on the outside see and are drawn to the truth of Christ by that love. Lord, we love you.